Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. Well, let's pray, church. Father, as we come uh, gathered around your word, Lord, just so, so grateful for the truth, Lord. Uh, Your word is truth. And God, in a crazy world that seems to go up and down and all around and backwards and forwards, Lord, thank you that we can come and, and hear the Creator's voice, the one who loves us, the one who made us. And God, I pray, Father, you'd help me, feeble as I am, communicate, Father, your truths. And God, you'd help all of us today as a family. God, obey your truths and live out your truths for the glory of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are in your seat, I just want to encourage you to have a little conversation with God. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey as well, let me encourage you to uh, just talk to God right there. And maybe you just want to say something like this to him right there in the quietness of your heart. You might just want to say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me today. And then maybe you want to say something like this. For Lord, I intend to obey. Lord, I intend to obey. We love you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we are, part five of Thessalonians. I'm dealing with some um, puberty issues here. My voice keeps cracking. And um, <clears throat> so if I'm like, hey, guys, it's just, uh, it's just uh, it's the pink shirt. And um, uh, no, it's just some, you know, you know how it is. The weather changes is, uh, is, is hitting my throat and sinuses just like everybody else's. And so we're in part five of this series, working through uh, the book of Thessalonians. And it's. Uh, Paul, the apostle, writing to a church that he has planted um, in uh, what, what is now Europe. And, um, and so Thessalonica's, uh, this and Philippi, right before this first time the gospel had come to the continent of Europe. It was in the Middle East and Africa before it was in Europe. And, um, and so he's writing to this church, but he spent some time with them um, and then had to leave all of a sudden. And he's writing to make sure they're doing okay. He had sent Timothy there to make sure they were doing all right. Timothy gave a good report. And um, and he was encouraging them. And now we're getting to maybe uh, sort of some of the challenges that they were facing. Uh, but for the most part, the, the church at Thessalonica was was a healthy church. And, uh, and so but Paul is hitting some issues here in this chapter, chapter four. And so the title of today's message is holiness is hot. So reach over, look at your neighbor and tell them you are holy. You are holy. I think you look kind of holy. If you don't have some neighbors around you, just go ahead and look look behind you and mouth it to somebody. It's like, you are holy, right? I'm just trying to do my job as a pastor. You know, I met my wife here at this church, and uh, it was it was through the uh, through the the workings of uh, my pastor, our former pastor, Pastor Lee, some other lovely folks here who who uh, who said, "Hey, you young people, I think you guys hate to." you know, go measure part of the building. And um, so actually, I think back in 2000, Tony, it was part of my job to measure the square footage of this building. And I, <clears throat> so it's probably dead wrong. And um, and uh, so, yep. But uh, but anyway, so I'm just trying to help out you single folks. I'm just trying to do my job. This has been passed down to me as a pastoral mantle is to help the single folks there. So just helping you find somebody who is holy. And... Uh, but when I say the word holy, right, if we do some word associations, you guys can help me, right? When someone says the word holy, what are some of the words? Give me a few words that, that come 
to, to, to mind. And, and now this is the part where we get to interact together. So you guys, tell me a couple words. When I say holy, what, what do you guys think of? Spirit. The song that we sing, right? Holy, holy, holy. Right? Angels, what did you say, Miss Rainey? Wholesome. Set apart. Sanct- sanctified. Bible. Holy Bible, right? I'm guessing holy and hot were never two word associations you had before. It was, it was like I hadn't associated those words before. And, um, but I think part of the reason that we struggle with understanding holiness, because typically what we think of when it comes to the word holiness, here are some ideas, the spiritual elite, right? The spiritual elite people. Those are the holy people. I'm not quite holy myself. Um, Rather severe. Maybe you think of, wow, there are some, some holy monks who sit up in a monastery and, and, um, and they, they, you know, they, they discipline themselves and they live in a very strict manner, a severe manner. Maybe you think of giving up worldly pleasures. That's holy. Maybe even innocent things like sugar or music or fishing or living an entirely spiritual life. Praying a lot. Being a very good person. Or maybe something that only very old saints attain to. That's what holiness is. Maybe boring. Maybe denial, as in self-denial. Discipline, maybe unattainable. Striving, the goal. Separation, as one person said, hard, necessary. But I'm here to let you know that, that holiness... Is, is what we were made for. It's, it's what we were, res- we were created to originally be. Holiness is actually a lot closer to the word wholeness. And, and sin has come in and fragmented us and tore us to pieces. And holiness is, is hey, y'all know the children's nursery rhyme? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. The king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put him back together again. That's what happened to us, right, because of sin. We were Humpty Dumpty, and, um, and we fell off the wall and broke into pieces. And holiness is the, the restoring of what God originally made us to be when he created Adam and Eve in the garden. So holiness is a whole lot closer to wholeness. It's genuine wholeness, restores human beings to the image of God that he had in mind since the beginning of creation. And so I like to say holiness is hot. It's attractive. It's desirable. It's something that all of us really want. Think, think about this for a second. Think about the addict. Think about the addict. Do they long to be made whole? Yes. You think they like being an addict? No, they don't. They are broken and longing for relief, right? Think about the, the person with an eating disorder. Think they like having an eating disorder? No, they are broken and fragmented and wishing and desiring they could be made holy and be made whole. Think about the raging man who goes off the handle for the smallest thing. Think he likes raging at his family and kicking things and breaking things? You think he likes that? No, he desires and longs to be made holy, to be made whole. It would be a relief, right? How about you? When you commit your particular brand of sin, right? We all have a different brand of sin. We like to kind of judge other people. When you lie to your coworker about something silly about the report or whatever, 
when you yell at your kids, when you harbor resentment, when you indulge in sexual romantic fantasies, when you promise or make a vow and you don't fulfill it, how do you feel? And what if you could be free from your hangups, right? It would be relief. It would be made whole. But the reality is, is that Jesus has come to make us whole. And we live in this uh, uh, already, but not yet. As, as we sung just a few moments ago where it said, man, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, I stand before the throne. There, there's a, a, a Bible word, justification, right? It's a big theological word for me. That's how God sees us. He sees us as perfect and spotless, faultless, standing before the throne. We are dressed in the robes of Christ's righteousness and covered. That's justification. But now there's this other thing called sanctification, which we're going to talk about a lot today, which is the emphasis of Paul's uh, statements here in chapter 4. Sanctification is the process. Reach over, touch your neighbor, tell them it's a process. It's a process. It's a process, right? So even though Christ views me, justification, as uh, Miss Nina Peters would say, just as if I'd never sinned, as justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Sanctification is the process of becoming made whole, becoming like Christ. I like to say Jesus is the only normal human being there ever was. And so holiness is really desirable when you think about it, but we've been trained to think that holiness is, is something else. In fact, uh, in the Bible, Matthew chapter 5, we were in here in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter 5, Verse 48, Jesus says, you should be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The, the Greek word there for perfect is teleos, meaning full or complete. So we talk about being perfect. It means I am being completed, full grown. I'm not lacking anything. It's brought to its end. It's finished. And that's the goal that we're all should be striving for, right? Man, I can't wait for the day for God to complete because I'm, I'm tired of doing these foolish things that I keep doing. Amen. God, I want to be holy. I want to be whole. There's another word uh, in Greek. In fact, it's, it's the word used here. It's hagios. Hagios. That's the word for holy or sanctification. Typically, people say it means set apart. But actually, what hagios means is this. It actually literally means it comes from the words meaning awful thing. Now, you might be thinking, wait a second, awful thing? I don't know about an awful thing. I don't think I want to be an awful thing, right? No, but it really means something that is full of awe, where, where you are awe-inspired. You are inspired when you see this thing. It is, man, it is, it is like, wow, I've never seen anything like this before. Think about the sun, right? It is an awe-inspiring thing. It's amazing. It's huge. It generates massive amounts of energy and light. The sun is this awe-inspiring thing. This is what holiness is. It inspires all. I have a quote that I want to share with you from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. Man, think about that. He's talking about holiness. Many people think holiness is dull and boring, but I'm telling you, holiness is hot. Reach over, touch your name, holiness is hot. It's in. You may think you don't want it, but holiness is hot. The old, the old preacher, Jonathan Edwards, he was a Puritan preacher, one of the most brilliant minds in America. 
Uh, his books and stuff are still studied in American literature classes today. And uh, Jonathan Edwards said this about holiness. He says, we drink in strange notions of holiness from our childhood as if it were melancholy, morose, or sour, an unpleasant thing. But there is nothing in it but what is sweet and ravishingly lovely. Think about that. Usually when people talk about holiness, you think about maybe some folks in a church that sit in a big high back chair, dressed all up, and they got a smug, you know, uh, just a frowny face on there, or maybe uppity up face. You know, that's what, like, whoa, those are the holy, those are the holy people, right? And and sometimes kids, right? We have some kids in here that think, oh, holiness is boring, you know, that sort of stuff. But no, it is. There is nothing more lovely than holiness. He goes on to say, "Tis the highest beauty and amiableness, vastly above all other beauties. Tis a divine beauty that makes the soul." Heavenly and far purer than anything here on earth. Tis of a sweet and pleasant, charming, lovely, amiable, delightful, serene. And it makes the soul a little sweet and delightful image of the blessedness of Jehovah. Did you get that, folks? It makes you were meant to, to bear the image of God, to show the world holiness and how inviting it is and how Beautiful it is how stunning and awe-inspiring holiness is. Holiness is hot. Oh, how many angels, he goes on. Oh, how many angels stand with pleased and delighted and charmed eyes to look and look with smiles of pleasure upon their lips, upon that soul that is holy. How may they hover over such a soul to delight to behold such loveliness. The song that Miss Phyllis was, uh, when I asked, right, Miss Phyllis was saying, holy, 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 right? Some of y'all think that'd be kind of a boring song, right? That's what, what, what uh, the Bible says. The, the angels are singing as they see God. But they have no other word for, for seeing the awe-inspiring majesty of, of God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that they, that they sit around the throne and they sing, holy, 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 like, man, awe-inspiring. Absolutely, there's not a word for this. It's so incredible. It's so warming. It's so inviting. It's so beautiful and majestic that even on earth, the things that we touch are just but a teeny, teeny shadow of who God truly is. Amen? But he's called us to be holy, and so holiness is hot. And so in this section of First Thessalonians, Paul is giving the Thessalonians this idea of holiness or sanctification. In fact, three times he uses it. Just read through the first couple of verses with me in chapter 4, right? <clears throat> he says this, Finally, then, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk to please God just as you are doing. So he's saying, you guys have been doing good. You guys have been doing good, church. It's a baby church. It's a couple months old. He's saying, you guys have been walking to please God. And, and the earlier chapters, you guys love one another. You got, Man, we love you guys. We miss you. This, this is awesome. But then he says what? Do so more and more or excel at it. Keep going, church. And then look, look at the, the next part of the, the verse there. So he says, do so more and more in the verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So he's saying, remember when I was there on the authority of Jesus, on the authority of the word of God, I, I told you to do these things. And, and then... He goes on to say, right, verse 3, For this is the will of God, 
your what? Sanctification. That's the word. Your holiness. Hagias. Your set apart. Your wholeness. You're, you're an awe-inspiring thing. That's what you should be. This is the will of God, that you would walk in holiness. Your sanctification. And then he, and then he gives them some specifics about their holiness. He says that you would abstain from sexual immorality. And then verse 4, that each of you would know how to control his or her own body. And then notice what he says, in what? In holiness and honor. And then down at, at the uh, later on in the chapter, he talks about their holiness or their sanctification again. And so there's a couple of things I just want to share with you because uh, we're not going to get into all of it today because he's going to talk about two areas of their holiness. He's going to talk about sexual purity, and then he's going to talk about love for other people, loving your neighbor as yourself. We'll get into that next week, but this week we're going to deal with sexual purity. So I want to give you just a couple of thoughts here. Point number one. Uh, as, as we're in the text, is the, the, the what of sexual purity. We're going to talk about the what of sexual purity. And man, I, I want this to be helpful as we talk about sexual purity. If you struggle with this area, you're not alone. So many other people have struggled with this. I have struggled with this. We, back when we did the, the Sermon on the Mount series, we, we talked in Matthew 5. That was dealing mainly with lust. But I want, I want this to be helpful. In fact, I would say this. We were talking with our community group just this, this past week, and even my wife and I were both saying, like, man, one of the reasons I became a pastor was because I did so many dumb things. I, I made a few billion mistakes, and I thought, man, it would have been so helpful if somebody said, hey, there's a different way. Like, there are some landmines here. Don't step on that. Like, watch out for that landmine because you get your leg blown off. And, um, and I thought, man, if I could help one other person, if I could help – one other person, avoid some of the stupid things I've done. If I could help somebody else not get ensnared in the addictions that I had, man, that's what it's, that's what it's about. That's why God has called me to part of that. Some of the reasons that I've become a pastor is that I, I have this desire based upon all the stupid things I've done. And so I want this to be helpful to you. So holiness is hot. So the what of sexual purity, he gives us what it is here in this verse. Look with me at verse 3, right? He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain, abstain from sexual immorality, right? What is that? Easily defined as, as this, any sex outside of the, the good and, and given boundaries of marriage between one man and woman, which is how God designed it to work. That's the wholeness there. That's the safety of that place where a man and a wife are meant to love and protect one another and honor each other. And so that would include things like premarital sex. That would include things like adultery. That would include things like homosexuality, fornication of any form. So I know we have kids here. Well, well what about kids, man? Look, kids need to see a mom and a dad loving one another honoring one another. They need to see one another staying faithful in the midst of the hardships and the temptations that are all around us. Man, that's huge for our kids because they are growing up in a world that has lost its mind. And there is temptation, not just here and there, there is temptation everywhere. And, and many young kids are growing up in our technological age and being exposed to these things at such an early age. And they need to see it first in our homes. Amen. They don't need to hear it preached as much as they need to see it lived out. 
the holiness of mom and dad, loving one another, remaining faithful to one another. And so that is huge. And so the what of sexual purity is, is yeah, it's any sexual, any sex outside of God's good gift of marriage. But also it includes, if you look at verse 5, it also includes our thought life and our, our heart, our mind. Look at verse 5. It says, not, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so obviously here he's talking about this lustful passion, the things that are going on in our head and our heart, the movies we're watching, perhaps the magazines, the things that are on our screen, late night cable TV, books that are, that are uh, not pure and not encouraging us. And so he's saying these things that go into your minds have an effect. And he's saying you are to abstain. You guys know what abstain means. Means don't have anything to do with those things. But it's so hard because our world just likes to slide stuff in left and right, trying to watch a movie with your kids. You're like, oh, gotta fast forward through that part. Gee whiz. Like, man, how, how do I? And it's like, it's crazy in our world. And, and it's like, you gotta flip the commercials now, right? I mean, just you, you watching TV, and it's like, oh, now we're gonna show Victoria's Secret commercials in the middle of, of, of you know, this television. And that sort of stuff is feeding into lustful passions. To have people not honor one another for their bodies, but to use other people. And to make a profit off of the objectification of women. And so the what of sexual purity is, is dealing with sexual immorality, any sexual morality, and dealing with our lustful thoughts, what goes on in the heart and mind. I do want to make a note here to talk about this issue of cohabitation and fornication. Because it's an issue we've dealt with as a church and the elders have been studying and praying and navigating. And, um, and as people cohabitate, in other words, live with one another, a man and a woman, they're not married. Is that right or wrong? And, and many folks say, man, y'all living together. <laughs> and, and honestly, I thought that way for a long time. And then as the elders got together, it's like, OK, let's study the Bible. Is there a verse that says thou shall not live together, man and a woman? And you can't find a verse about that. And so we, we came to the conclusion that cohabitation is not necessarily sinful. But fornication absolutely is sinful. And so we want to be a church that is able to stand, not on, not on my opinion, right? Because you don't need another opinion in your life. Not upon tradition, but upon the word of God. Amen? And if there's not a verse for it, we're not going to stand up here and make a big shout about it. Now, if there's a verse for it, we're going to shout about it. We're going to stand upon what God has given us because he knows best. He's the creator. And so we would say, yeah, it could be possible. I was thinking about the movie Anna Green Gables because it was it was a brother and a sister, a man and woman that lived together. You know, that wasn't wrong. And there are instances there. But I will say, if you are not married and you're living together, you need a whole lot of accountability in your life. Because I'm going to tell you, if I was living with my wife before we got married, there'd be a whole lot of temptation every second of the day. And so you, if you're going to do that, let me challenge you. You better have a community group leader. You better have somebody that's asking you difficult questions every day. Are you honoring one another and staying pure? Or are you playing marriage without giving that person the covenant and the protection of your love? Or are you just using that person? Because that's really what it boils down to. I want to use you and I need an excuse if I want to get out of it. And so Am I willing to give you my covenant, my promise that I will not leave you nor forsake you and provide that safety net for you? So I'm not here to condemn you, right? I'm here to help you. And so it's, I'm just letting you know, right? And so 
we're talking about holiness here. And I, I want to let everybody know, nobody in this room, right? Nobody in this room is where they need to be in this. Everybody, everybody is, is, has room to grow in their holiness. Amen? Even if you have a good week, a, a random thought comes to your mind. A random thing happens. And it's like, boom, and you crash. And so all of us are growing together in this. And let me just encourage you here. Nobody, nobody is where they need to be, and we all have room to go. So that's the what of holiness. Let's talk about the why of sexual purity. That was the what of sexual purity. Let's talk about the why. That's number two. And there's at least five reasons. I had six, and then I combined a couple. And, and so uh, we're going to go through uh, five reasons here on, on what Paul is saying, why we should do this, right? Letter a or number one of subpoint underneath this idea of, of the why, right? It pleases God. It pleases God. It delights the heart of God. Sexual purity brings God happiness and joy. So here's the question, right? Here's the question for you. Do you want to please God? That's, that's the most foundational question, right? Here's the other question. Are you a Christian? Are you a believer? If you're saying, yes, pastor, I'm a believer. Then the next question is, then you should want to please God. But some of us live in this disconnected world. Like, I can do whatever I want with my body, and that's okay. Or I can do whatever I want with my thought life or what I watch or what I listen to and all this sort of crazy mess. And, and then I can still go to church and, and, you know, still be in a group and still serve and, and be all right. And, and God's saying, are you living in a way do you desire to please me? That's the, that's the foundational question, isn't it? So think about that there in your seat. Ask yourself that question. Do I desire to please God? Then God is saying sexual purity pleases him, right? Look at verse 1. This is not my opinion, folks. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk to what? Please God, just as you are doing. So he's saying you guys have been doing good, that you do so more and more. And so sexual purity pleases God. It brings joy to his heart. Next letter, letter B or, or number two, holiness is God's will for my life. Holiness is God's will for my life. When I was a youth pastor for many years, a lot of teenagers and young people want to know, what is God's will? Can you, can you help me discern what God's will is for my life? What kind of job should I take? Should I go to college or should I go here? Should I marry this guy or marry this girl? I, can you help me figure out the will of God? And I was like, I can tell you the will of God for with certainty. And they're like, really? You got a crystal ball? Yep. Yep. Let me show you my crystal ball. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual purity. And how many know the teenagers are like, there goes the pastor. Always pulling these tricks on me. Pastor Jedi tricks, just playing with my mind. I thought he really knew the will of God. I do know the will of God. It's called walk in holiness. This is God's will for you. And listen, young people, when you do this, God will work out the details. You set your heart and your mind on pleasing God and doing his will and walking in purity. He will bring you to the right school. He will bring you to the right spouse. He will bring you to the right job. You focus on holiness and you'll be just fine. Later on, he's going to say the same thing in, uh, later on in this book. 
and he's going to talk about praying, right, and, and giving thanks. He's going to say, this is the will of God. So, letter B, right, it's letter B. I couldn't decide letters, numbers, you know. <clears throat> it, was a, it was a long day. Holiness is God's will for you, right? Holiness is God's will for you. Thirdly, or letter C, it shows that I love others. It shows that I love others. It shows that I love others. This is really what God has called us to do. The first greatest commandment is to love God by pleasing him and doing his will. If you're a Christian, you should want to please God and love the will of God. And then secondly, you should want to love other people as yourself. And sexual purity is the way to love others more than you love your own self. Because sexual immorality is really all about me and my desires and what I want and using you to get it. And so the actual word here is we talked about the word holiness. Look at, look at verse 4 with me, right? It shows that I love others. Verse 4. That each one of you know how to control his own body in, in what? In holiness and honor. Let's talk about that word holiness there just for a second. What happens is when I commit sexual immorality, I destroy, I fragment somebody else. I, I, I take a piece of my life and I join it. The Bible says that, that when people come together in sexual union, the two have become one. And when that doesn't happen in the context of marriage, I then rip a piece of you apart. I fragment you. And then the same thing, it, it happens to me. I fragment myself. This is not just physical stuff. Your God has designed sexuality in such a way that there is an emotional, spiritual, and mental component. So when you come together in a union like that, you are uniting in one flesh. And to break that apart and go on to the next guy, to go on to the next girl, to, to just sleep around like, like, oh, there's no harm in that. There is great harm in that because you and that person were created to be whole. And you just took a piece of them and, and ripped it off. And you took a piece of yourself and you, you done cracked Humpty Dumpty. I think the Lecrae song said Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall trying to do the purity dance. And, um, and if some of y'all know good old-fashioned uh, 90s rap music, there was a song about Humpty Dumpty and, um, and the Humpty dance. And, um, and so what happens is it breaks and it fragments people. And so when I treat people with holiness, right, when I treat people with holiness, I am helping to restore them. Young people and old people and middle-aged people, you are not loving others. I don't care whether it's on a screen or whether it's in your office or at your school or in this church. When you treat them in sexual immorality, you treat them in unholiness, you are tearing them apart. And the Bible says we are to treat one another as brothers and sisters. And we are to respect one another and, and honor one another. And that really leads me to the next verse there, right? It says, learn how to control your, your body in, in holiness. And what's the next word? And in honor. Oh, that we would restore honor to sex. Sex is all about honor. That we would raise up a generation that restores honor. We raise up young men who do not use women. We raise up young women who do not use men. And we restore honor. The Bible says in Hebrews, it says, man, the marriage bed should be respected and honored by all. It is an honorable thing that God created that is good. And our world has twisted it and perverted it. Just as we said through the whole Sermon on the Mount series is that sin has turned the world upside down. Jesus came to turn it right side up. And sex was meant to be an honorable, 
beautiful thing, but by displaying it in, in distorted and pornographic ways, we have dishonored God. But we've also dishonored human beings. We're not treating them with honor when we do that. The Greek word here, honor, actually has to deal with price, has to deal with value. And am I showing that that person is valuable? Am I showing that, that they have price attached to them? Because you know what price Jesus Christ paid for that young woman or for that young man? He paid the highest price, giving his life on the cross for them. And for us to treat them, even on a screen, with that kind of dishonor shows that, that we have cheapened who God is and we have cheapened who that person is. We're not treating them with honor. It's a great counterfeit. In fact, when we devalue, which much of what our culture honors today objectifies both men and women when we commit sexual immorality and lust, they're devaluing that person. And really, God has called us to live in, in honor. And can I just tell the young people today, you are valuable. You're valuable. I hope that message gets across loud and clear. Parents and grandparents continue to preach that message. They're not valuable because of their grades, or because of how good they look, or what their supporters. They have value because Jesus Christ paid the highest price for them. And your kids can't hear that enough. And young people, listen to me. Hey, are y'all with me? I'm glad y'all are here today. When some girl comes up to you, and she's 12 years old, and she's cute, and she says, I think you're cute. You want to get together and do this? Or when some little zip face 13-year-old boy comes up to you and says, I think you're cute, girl. I think we should do X, Y, and Z. And I love you. And, and if you love me, you would do this too. Can I tell you he is not valuing you? Can I tell you he only wants or she only wants what they can get from me? And they'll be on to the next person. And listen, look, look, at, these, look at these older people around you. We, we've been there. And, and we have let our hearts be broken by some little ignorant uh, young men and young women controlled by hormones and passions. And we're just trying to say, hey, look, man, my heart got broken. My body got messed up. I'm just trying to help you out. There are some ways to avoid this sort of stuff without the heartbreak, without the destruction. And there are ways to honor people. And if they really loved you and really honored you, they would say, man, I respect your decision. I respect you so much that, that I'm not going to perpetrate your body like that. I'm not going to treat you that way, to try to use you to get what I want. Because how many know, especially young men, and I can tell you because I was a young man, they'll, they'll say anything. They will say anything. Young ladies, to get you to take off your clothes, I just got to keep it real, okay? And so don't send any pictures. Don't send any pictures. Don't send any pictures. Because you're way more valuable than that. You are so more valuable that Jesus, go ahead, give the Lord and encourage these young people. Tell them how valuable they are. Some snot-nosed little Jimmy, you won't ever see him again. He's got pictures of who you are. And he doesn't show them to all his friends. He doesn't care anything about you. No, he told me he loves me. He doesn't. Jimmy can't even spell love. <laughs> I'm just trying to help you all out. I'm just trying to keep it real and help you all out. <laughs> I love you, Jimmy. I love you too, Jimmy. Hey, can, can I say that women are also guilty of this? Okay? Listen, this, 
Men and women are different, and men struggle with this in a lot of ways that women don't, but women still struggle with this issue. And I've talked with many women in these situations struggling with this. And so one area where men and women are not different, there, there are a lot of differences. God created good differences. One area where men and women are, are not different is sin. Men and women sin <laughs> equally. And so I've talked to, to, and seen and been involved. I've, I've been a, a sponsor for people in addiction programs, in sexual addiction programs. I've, I've, I've seen it all. I've heard it all. And, um, and man, I'm telling you, it is brokenness to the nth degree. And God wants you to experience healing and holiness, walking and holiness. So that was letter C. Only got a couple more to go. Wait, we're still in that one. We, we missed the verse. We missed the verse. So we got holiness, honor, and then look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. Say stay on track. Pastor, verse 6. That no one transgress or wrong his brother in this manner. That no one transgress or wrong his brother in this area. And so sexual morality does hurt others. It transgresses them. I need you to know that every person of the opposite sex is someone else's daughter or someone else's son, even on a screen. Do you think their parents want them showing twerking on Twitter and, and showing their body like that? You think their parents, you think that encourages the heart of their parents for them to, to do that? No, it doesn't. Their, their parents are broken hearted. And even if they don't have parents, there are grandparents that are weeping that their child is acting like this. And we trespass. That's the word there. It means there's a piece of property and, and there was a line marked by a fence and a sign that said no trespassing sign. And we just kicked that down and went right across that line. And what God is saying, not only do these young people belong to another family, but they also belong to me. This is my property. This is my child who I created not to be used and abused and to be just objectified. But they have a mind. They have a heart that is valuable. They, they have skills that are valuable, not just a body to please your temporary desires. And they have all this stuff. And this is my property. And when you engage in any form of sexual morality, you trespass against God's property. Where he said no trespassing. Until I take down that sign where a man or a woman are ready to commit to one another in covenant marriage. And so transgress has this idea of going beyond. And then wrong. It says trespass or wrong his brother or sister. How many of you know that wrong also it's translated in some translations as defrauding them? And it has this idea of being greedy and wanting more. It also has this idea. Uh, defraud means to promise something and not give it to them. Oh, how often that happens in relationships. And, and I'm promising, I'm making you think, I'm making you think that I'll be committed to you. I'm making you think, okay, that we're doing this together. And, and then I promise my love to you. And then I drop you the next week. I drop you the next month. And it says, don't defraud one. Don't, don't promise them something. Young ladies, don't lead young men on. Young men, don't lead young ladies on. Y'all have been dating for how many years? Y'all are engaged for how long? Are you leading that person on? Are you promising them something without delivering? Make a decision and commit to that person. Well, Pastor, I don't, I don't know all the ins and outs. Listen, there's a lot of things that you're going to figure out in marriage. There's a lot of things. And every family and every situation is different, but you have to honestly assess your life and say, am I defrauding them? Am I promising them something? I have no intention of getting married in my heart to that person. And I continue to lead that person on. 
and I'm telling you, this has been the 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 the, the eminent piece of our culture that young men have, have learned how to do this, and they can't make a decision for anybody. And they lead young women on and they break their hearts, one heartbreak after the next. And men of God need to take this seriously. And I'm thankful that God is bringing some men of God. I'm thankful for the young men and what God is doing here in our church. But I'm just here to remind you that men of God do not defraud their sisters and and neither do the sisters. Amen. So, man, it shows when I operate in sexual, it shows I actually love other people instead of using them. And then, fourthly, it shows I'm a true believer. Shows I'm a true believer. Hey, what's the title of the message? The title of the message is Holiness is Hot. I just want to let you know it's a little hot in here. It's a little hot in here. I think it's because we just filled up with a bunch of holy people. I don't know. Just a bunch of holy people in here. But it's feeling a little hot. And that's okay. A little bit of sweat never hurt anybody. Holiness is, is hot. But it shows that I'm a true believer. Shows that I'm a true believer. Sexual purity shows that I'm a true believer. Really? Look at verse 5. Verse 5, he says. Uh, before that in verse 4, but he says, Each you learn how to control his own body. Verse 5, not in the passion of lust like Gentiles. And for the Jews who, who he was speaking to, Gentiles was any person that was, that was not actually nationally, uh, ethnically Jewish, but, but he really means non-believers, okay? And lust like the non-believers. And then he clarifies it, right? Who do not what? Who do not know God. When you know God, you know this is what he wants and you operate in this. And and here's what happens is God transforms my way of thinking. God transforms my way of thinking about how I relate to others, about, about, about how I view relationships between men and women. He transforms. So when you come to know him, he transforms that. That's what happened to me. I used to think this way about women. And then I became a believer. And I was like, man, I cannot do this anymore. What I'm doing is wrong. I didn't have any preacher telling me to do that. It was just God's spirit and his word impacted my heart. I was like, man, I can't, I can't keep doing this. This is wrong. And where did that idea come from? It came from God. Transformed my heart. I had a dead heart that didn't care about people or women. And he made it alive. And now it was softened to say, man, I, I got to stop doing this. Shows I'm a true believer. The pastor if, if I struggle with sexual morality, are you saying I'm not a believer? The key word is struggling and fighting. That's the key word. If you're struggling and fighting against it, that's evidence that God's spirit is at work in you. But if it is demolishing your life and you're sitting on, in, in the pew, you're sitting at home, you're not doing it against that, sir or ma'am, yes, you may not be a believer. Did I lose my salvation? I don't know if you lost your salvation or not. You might have never been saved. Because you can't continue to walk in the ways of wickedness without the Holy Spirit bringing conviction and you seeking to fight. That's just the way it works. And so many people are misled and thinking, I'll just do whatever I want and God will be okay because I grew up in church, right? We treat God like it's a flu shot. Oh, I went to church. I got saved when I was 10. Flu shot, and now I just go and do whatever I want. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian means I walk to please God and I walk in holiness. And so, yes, you may not be a believer if you are continuing along this path without any struggle, without any fight. I didn't say you wouldn't fight because every person, as I said at the beginning of this message, is struggling and fighting against this. 
But that's the difference. I'm not saying anyone is perfect. Hope I made that abundantly clear. But if there's not a desire to fight in you, yes, you may not be saved and you need to check your salvation, which leads me to the next point. Sin brings God's vengeance. Sin brings God's vengeance. Paul wasn't playing here. It's like he shot a rifle over their heads, right? Paul wasn't playing, right? Look at verse 6 through 8. Sin brings God's vengeance. Verse 6 through 8, he says this, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this manner because the Lord, who? The Lord is an avenger. Y'all didn't know the Lord was on the Avengers before the Avengers were even thought of in Stan Lee's mind? The Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand, and then look what he says, as we solemnly Warned you. That's a serious warning. We solemnly warned you. God will avenge sin because he is holy. And like the sun in the presence of the sun, right? A little spacecraft flies near the sun. What's going to happen to that spacecraft? It's going to burn up because it's the holiness and radiance of the sun. Man, that spacecraft can't contain it. And God is saying, man, I will bring vengeance upon Sin. Why? Because God is so mean? No, because God is so loving and pure. Anytime he, he sees unholiness happen, it breaks God's heart and he will take action upon it. Let me ask you this question. What, what do you think is, is more important? Right? What do you think is more important? Global warming? Human trafficking? Terrorism? Racial reconciliation? Crime and violence in our nation, social justice, abortion, war, or your own sexual purity. Can I get a different question, Pastor? They're all important. They all are sin and violate the human image bearers of God. War destroys the image bearers of God. Social justice and racism destroys the image bearers of God. Terrorism, global warming, human trafficking destroy the image bearers of God. And I'm not saying that we don't have a role in all those things, but you can't control what other people do. But you know what you can control? Your own body. And so before we're worried about all the stuff on the news and everybody else's sin, we need to be worried about our personal holiness. And can I tell you, holding political leaders accountable for their own personal holiness needs to get back in vogue. Because I remember the day when I heard my preacher go, go crazy in the 90s, like, man, we, President Clinton committed this sexual immorality and people lost their minds. And I used to hear these words all the time. Don't vote for, for what's going to bring you economic uh, income. Don't don't vote for your own political party, but vote your values, and your values should be lined up with the scriptures. But instead, we're choosing to align ourselves with political parties on the right and on the left instead of being lined up and holding all leaders, political leaders, accountable for sexual purity, for sexual holiness all across the board because it's rampant. And I remember the day where we used to be able to look up to these people. 
maybe that day's just gone. Maybe I'm just being too nostalgic. Maybe somebody after church will say, just get over it, Pastor. It's the way it is. And y'all will, you know, encourage me. But I just believe that God has called us to walk in holiness. And I believe that we as Christians can continue to hold that standard up. But we've got to hold the standard up ourselves first. Amen. And before we're talking about everybody else, we have control of our own holiness. So those are the whys. Then lastly is the how. The how. And I don't have a whole lot of time here. I don't want to keep you guys here. I know it's hot up in this room because y'all are so holy. But the how of sexual purity. I will point you to the fact that uh, we did a message back in June. You can go online and listen to it uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. Talking about purity, there was an acronym I gave in there. I'll probably put it in our weekly newsletter as well and give you some uh, tools there. Because we need some tools, amen. We need some practical things. I appreciate Kay praying uh, uh, before I preached and, and just the, the practical tools. We definitely need that. Uh, but there was an acronym that we gave called LIVE, L-I-V-E, and, uh, and that was in that sermon. And, uh, and basically it was about this, L is learn to flee temptation. As I heard uh, pastor and author John Piper said, you got about five seconds. you got about five seconds to make a decision when you're tempted. Internet, pornography, uh, text message. you got about five seconds. Five seconds to make a decision. Learn how to flee temptation. The Bible says flee it. Flee it. As soon as you can, just run from it. Get out of there. Get out of that situation. you got to look foolish. Somebody trying to give you a good night kiss in the car by yourselves. I'm telling you, it's not a good place. And say goodbye. Get out in public and give a good night hug and say, peace, see you later. Don't hang out in the car. Okay? Keeping it real for y'all. That's practical. I'm helping somebody. And uh, learn how to flee temptation. Get out of that situation. Get rid of the phone. Get some accountability. Use those things. Learn how to flee. And then I is invite others to help you stay accountable. God can't heal it if you don't reveal it. If you want to send me a personal email, I'll be glad to help you. I'm telling you, probably won't be nothing I haven't done in my years of stupidity. I'm telling you strategies I use to continue to keep myself pure. I'm not going to look down on anybody else. So I invite others to help you stay accountable. I talk to somebody in your community group. Talk to one of the elders. Talk to the person that brought you to church today. Being trapped in that sin, Satan uses a trap to continue to hold people down of, of keeping it secret. And then B is a verse in your heart and a plow in your hands, meaning you've got to fight fire with fire. You've got to fight back with the scriptures, and we'll talk about that in a second. And then E is examine your pain in the light of the gospel, and, and your pain is this. A lot of times people are in bondage to sexual things because there's a deeper emotional problem. There's a deeper emotional problem that happened when I was young, and I'm using sex, I'm using another person to... To, to solve that. And as I've worked with people over the years, I've seen it over and over again. There's so many, it's much deeper than just the physical issues of sex. And so, how do we fight sexual purity? I want, I want to give you a bigger picture here and uh, something to write down is this. I learned this from another pastor. I fight, well, we put this on the screen. I fight lust. I fight sexual immorality by feeding my faith. I fight lust. I fight sexual immorality by feeding my faith. You may have heard the old illustration about what there, there are two wolves at, at battle within you, perhaps, and, and, and they're, and they're going to be in a dog fight. They're going to and, um, and which one will win the fight in your heart? If you feed one of those dogs, the pit bull, I know this you feed a wolf, okay? Uh, you feed the wolf. You feed that one all the time because you're looking at foolish stuff. You're listening to music that's encouraging you to use your body in ungodly ways and everything and all your friends and you're watching Netflix and nonsense everywhere and that's all you feed it and you go to church once a week, you talk about God once a week and you feed your soul 
the spiritual wolf one time a week, which wolf's going to win that battle? When all day long, in your ears, in your mind, and images, you've, you've been feeding the sinful flesh, that wolf, all this time. You think he's going to win a fight? You fight. The one that wins the fight is the one you feed. So you've got to feed your faith. Faith in what? Faith in Christ, in an all-glorious, all-satisfying God. You've got to access the power of the gospel by the same thing it took to save you. What does it take to bring salvation to a non-believer? It's these two simple things. You've got to repent and believe, right? Touch your neighbor, table, repent and believe. But tell them, I still think you're holy. <laughs> right? You've got to repent and believe. Repent for what? Repent from the, the lie. Repent from, from the falsehood and then believe the truth. Have y'all ever seen Finding Nemo? Y'all remember Finding Nemo? It's a cute little movie. And uh, little Nemo, his dad was a little too, his dad was a little too uh, helicopter parent. But his dad had some wisdom. He said, hey, man, you get away from the safety of the coral reef. Something's going to happen to you. I remember his friends were like, go touch the boat. Right? And then Nemo's like, I'm going to touch the butt. I'm going to touch the boat. And then he called it a butt. And, uh, you know, that was funny. And anytime you say that word, kids just laugh. Adults laugh, too. I don't know. Um, my basketball coach in high school was coach butts. And uh, <clears throat> so we didn't make fun of him, though. I don't know why you don't make fun of your coach like that because he'll stomp you into the ground. And uh, But anyhow, so Nemo was, was, was told to stay in the safety. But somebody lied to him. His friends lied to him. Go, go, man, go, go touch it. Go touch it. And, and, when, and when you get away from the safety of what God has provided, what is there waiting for you? Man, there, there's, there's somebody with a net ready to scoop you up. There, there's a hook, right? There's a hook that Satan uses, and he puts all the stuff we like on that hook. And it looks good. And that's why fish bite it, because a little worm dangling. But as soon as you bite it, he's got you hooked, and now he can lead you wherever he wants. And that's what I'm talking about. We need to repent and believe. We need to identify, man, this is false. This is not right. God is way better than that. You're trying to deceive me, because what happens every time you give into sexual sin? Every time you give into sexual sin, it does not deliver. You end up doing the same thing, and you're like, this was dumb. Why did I do this? I left the safety of God's goodness and grace, and, and, and I bit that? Oh, that was left a terrible taste in my mouth. I, I now I'm in chains. Now I'm in the dentist's office, and they got the little girl poking at the window because I didn't listen to my father's instructions. And so we've got to identify, right? Repent and believe. Ephesians six seventeen says this. Ephesians six seventeen says, "Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God." We need to see more of God. The problem is we don't see enough of God, and we're feeding, again, the wrong thing. So how much time do you spend gazing at Christ? How much time do you spend in the Word? How much time do you spend filling your mind with the things of God, with music of God, with, with videos that would encourage you? How much time do you spend feeding that? That's the question you have to ask. Closing with James 1, it says this. James talks about temptation and about how we're Lured away like a fish, James 1, 14 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own what? Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. You see the progression? There's a desire. It lures away from the goodness and the truth of God. Then that desire grows and it gives birth into what? 
sin, which is an action. Then sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth what? See how it happens every time? Sin always brings forth death in your life, the death of your relation, the death of an area where you're growing in God. So what is the, the key here? You ever been driving one time and you were late, like it happens to me, and you were so focused and you're like weaving in and out of traffic, right? And you're like, you're like focused. You see this car, that car, you're like, okay? And somebody next to you could be trying to talk to you. Do you hear anything they say? No, man, you're focused on the goal. Somebody could be next to you. Your best friend could be in the car next to you at the light and you gripping the wheel at 10 and 2 and you're so focused on getting there, right? And they're over there like, hey, hey, do you see me? But you're focused on get there at 11 o'clock. I'm focused on the destination. You're so focused, right? You don't even see that. That's how focused we need to be on Jesus. So focused. So focused on Him. I repent from the the worldly mess, the the lies of the devil, because everything the devil throws at me has got a hook in it, and I need to know that, and I need to stay focused on the beauty of the coral reef that God has given me. Sin is always promising and doesn't deliver. Sin is the ultimate defrauder. There's always a hook. There's always a catch. So Plaza, let's continue like verse 1 says, to excel more and more at this. As I sort of know in this room is where they should be, right? We all have room to grow. Let's continue to grow and grow, to repent and to believe the gospel and to trust that it's God in us, right? Greater is he that is in you than is he that is in the world is what the world says, what the word says. Greater is he in me. The Bible says the same power that rose Jesus from the dead can, can, is at work in the life of every believer. You can overcome these issues for those who are struggling with it and, and in bondage to that. Let me encourage you. You have a pastor who's ready to stand with you. You've got other church family here ready to honor your privacy, all that sort of stuff. But to say, man, you can get out of this. Sister, you can get out of this. And so we're going to close with a time of response for us to respond, however God is calling you to respond. If you don't know Christ, we, we, we're pointing you to him, a great and glorious God that, that is far more satisfying than any sin. And Jesus comes with no hooks. Jesus comes with abundant life offering to you. Jesus comes with a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. Satan comes with a yoke of chains and, and, and a burden of slavery. And we're, we're pointing you to the cross today. So let's pray together, and then we'll respond through our song. Father, thank you.